Now, first service found that very entertaining. They actually responded. I guess you guys have never had any of those, those comments or, or concerns in life. I don't know. You're awful quiet. We got we to gotta fix that. Ah, oh, we'll get to that, that video clip here in a minute because it addresses something really, really specific that we're going to go to. But what I wanted to tell you was this. I, I have been really, it's been a pleasure to get to do these last few weeks and share with you something that I am genuinely passionate about. I am passionate about the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. That's why, one of the many reasons why I do what, what I do for a living is I love the church. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. But I love the church, and I think there's this, this misunderstood idea of the church in this world, and it's something that so many people desperately need, as we'll talk about today. And as I was, we were closing up this series and the writing and trying to figure out what would be an, a logical thing, if you will, to follow it, we came across an idea that, that I thought would be useful because so many of us in the church um, here are from all over the map. We are, are from all kinds of different backgrounds. Maybe we grew up in a different type of church or maybe no church at all. And somehow, some way, God allowed you uh, to come into this place. And while some of you have been here a very long time, even grown up here, um, you don't really know what the Christian church is. What, what, the, what is this independent Christian church thing? Uh, what, what makes it different from other churches and things like that? And so we're going to spend uh, just a few weeks, a few short weeks, just kind of telling you about the history of this church, not Berea, but our founding as a faith tradition and, and what it means, and more importantly, what we believe and why we do some of the things that we do in this church. We want to explain that to you and show you the biblical basis for those things. So A, you know, because that's a good thing, but B, so you can explain it to others as God brings them our way. You can share with them uh, the history and, and what we're about and why we do kind of what we do, if you will, as a part of this church. So just, just kind of keep that in mind. So this is the final week of talking about church membership, or as I love to, to call it, church adoption. Um, and I didn't mention this earlier, but I'll, I'll mention it again now and then at the end, that on, on Sunday, March 1st, we're going to have a luncheon for anybody that's interested, um, folks that have maybe joined the church recently or maybe have never joined at all um, and want to just ask some questions of the leadership, uh, meet the staff, things like that, have lunch together. We're looking forward to it. Um, it's an opportunity. I wish we had more often to just, just to sit and just eat with folks for no real reason other than just to get to know one another. So that's Sunday, March 1st. There's a sign-up sheet out there in the foyer. Um, we're, we're excited about that. So as we close it today, what distinguishes a church member from just somebody that's just usually here, just a regular attender? Is it something as simple as a vote in the annual congregational meeting? Or is it more than that? Does the Bible have a clear emphasis, a, cl a clear purpose for its meaning? Is it something that we're supposed to do? Why is it better to be a member of a local congregation than, rather than just a, a regular attender? Especially when you begin to realize that being a member requires some further obligation. And what is it that potential members might be asked to commit themselves to if they choose to join and then how are the members of a church asked to live out that commitment in a practical way? These are some of the things that we're going to be talking very specifically about in the message today. But that video that you just watched played really well along with an article that I read a little while ago. It was an article entitled, Four Attitudes That Are Killing Church Attendance. And the first two of those attitudes relate directly to this sermon series. The first one, the attitude that church membership is not a biblical concept. Now, we spent the whole first two weeks talking about this idea, where it comes from in the Bible, what the church's role is in that membership, and we're going to kind of finish that 
today. And so if you've missed the, any, of, any part of those other two messages, please go back. You can watch them online. You can download it and listen to it wherever and whenever you want and just get caught up on that. What we really want to do is hope and pray that God will move you in that direction and change your attitude if you feel like it's something that the Bible really doesn't talk about because it most certainly does. But the second attitude that's killing church attendance today is exactly what that video was all about. The, re- the attitude that we are primarily here, we primarily gather on a Sunday morning as the body of Christ to have our individual needs met. And that was never, ever the intention of the church. And as a matter of fact, that attitude is what causes division within a church. We demand our own worship style. We demand certain things in an order of worship. We demand a certain style of building. We demand certain paint colors on the walls. We demand the certain color of the carpet, the types and colors of the chairs. These are the things that people concern themselves within the church. In reality, we are to be a functioning member of the body of Christ for the greater good of the whole body, not for ourselves. And if you have any doubts, then open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 3, just to share this with you, where Paul writes these words to us, do not do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. The next time you're having a conversation with someone about concerns they have within the church, feel free to insert that verse into the conversation. Because most of those conversations we have with people are always around selfish motives. And we're not considering the needs of others above the needs of ourselves like our Savior Jesus did. All right? So, Pastor, last few weeks you've set a groundwork. Okay, oh, that's fine. Um, you've shown some passages. We have done that. Now tell me, why? why? Make a case for me. Why should I become a member? Fin- give me a little more biblical proof that this is a real thing and that Jesus absolutely wants me to do with that or to do that with, with my life, if you will, with my family, to be a part of the body of Christ here. And so I'll make a deal with you. Absolutely, I'll, I'll do that one more time. As long as you do this, as long as you promise to listen with ears to hear what the Word of God says to us in this. Because what you're going to realize is you're going to hear your role and my role as members of the church. So make sure you listen carefully for that. This is not a club to join It's not simply a list to put your name on. It is a family to love. These are brothers and sisters in Christ to serve. So we're going to turn to Book of Acts where the church is originally formed. And we often go to this place when talking about the church because prior to this moment in Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 36, the church as we would call it did not exist. It had not been formed yet. And so this is the moment where it's literally completely birthed. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. Now, this is Peter wrapping up this incredible gospel presentation. The very first time the good news of Jesus Christ had ever been preached in the history of mankind was on this day, the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached. And this is the end of his message. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Imagine the passion in Peter's voice as he expresses this to the crowd. Imagine the passion as every person that was there heard this message in their own native tongue. The Spirit was at work on that day. When the people heard this, Scripture says they were cut to the heart. They were moved with emotion. 
The crowd was no longer silent. They were weeping. They were genuinely upset by what they were hearing and their responsibility for it. And they asked, what do we do? Brothers, what should we do? To which Peter gives the famous reply, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Has the world changed any church? Those who accepted this message and were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The question becomes, added to what? What were these 3,000 people added to? Were they added to some philosophical system of laws and rules and things like that? Were they added to this occasional group of people that would every once in a while get together and talk about this Jesus or was there something more? Were they actually added to the genuine birth of the church? Well, I think the verses that follow tell us exactly what they were added to. In verse 42, they said, they are devoted. They were devoted. They devoted, that is the key word themselves, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and wondered at the many signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And once again, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why? Because they were devoted to one another. This newly formed body of people were now living out the one another's in such a way that they were demonstrating them to one another and other people were noticing that and other people were joining them. There was a structure to it. There were some systems to it, but it was not the business model that the American church has adapted. They did not have a church board and a church president and voting and all of the American things that we have in our church. It was much simpler at that time. The people instead have sought to be relational. They helped people within from their means and they sought to help people outside of the church in such a way that it would bring them in. They had covenanted with one another. They were breaking breads in one another's homes. They were sharing meals daily with one another. Those people that were of means, and there weren't many in that early church, were willing to sell some of their possessions and their belongings. And they said they laid those offerings down at the feet of the apostles so that the apostles could distribute those to those within the body that had needs. What an incredible image that is. This group of people might not have had anything else in common in the entire world other than the love, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness of Jesus. But the blood of Christ and the realization of his sacrifice that he made brought them to him. And then the Spirit of God held them together. And that's who we're to be. Who are the members of this early church? That's a great question. So we're going to look at a familiar passage, one that we studied last fall here at Berea from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. So if you haven't turned to your Bibles yet, that would be a perfect time to do that, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be reading from the beginning of that passage. We're going to look 
what it was like this time as if we're a person wondering if being a part of a church is something for us. Is this really what God wants us to do? I'm not sure about the whole membership thing. And so we're going to look at Paul's description of the early church. Now, I'm going to do something a little different again today like I did last week, and I'm going to use a slightly different translation. Typically, we use the NIV. We're going to use the ESV, which is almost identical to the NIV. But for some reason, in this verse, chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, there is one word that they leave out in the NIV, and I have no idea why. When you go back to the original Greek text, that word is there. And for some reason, they delete it out of that translation. So I wanted to make sure it was included, and you'll understand why in verse 5 here in just a moment. So begin reading with me, chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Hear those words at the beginning. You, 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 you. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind but verse 4 but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of the grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so no one may boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The first thing I want you to notice is how the language of the passage changes. In the first two verses, it says you. You're alone. You're isolated. You're separated from God. And then the rest of the time, Paul uses the us language. Together language. We language. The body of Christ language. And then we get to verse 5, and the word that was left out of the other translations is the word together. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, you could insert the name Jesus there if you want. He said it previously. Jesus made us alive together, together with the Christ. Jesus makes us come alive when we're together. You know, I never really noticed that, truthfully, until I was preparing for this message. And I began reading the different versions. Well, wait a minute, that word is huge. Why is that left out? And I thought it was too important to not draw attention to it. We are called to be together, one with Christ together. In verse 12, he goes on to say, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alone, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope without God in the world. Paul is writing this letter to a group of Gentiles, okay? If you, if it's kind of a weird word, and there's no people group called Gentiles, so let me very short quick explain it to you. If you were a Jew in Jesus' time, there were only two groups of people in the world. There were the Jews and everyone else. Everyone else, Gentiles, okay? We are all Gentiles, unless you're of Jewish descent. You too are a Gentile, so keep that in mind. And these people did not know about God's old covenant with Abraham. They didn't have any idea of the understanding of God's principles, his teachings, and they had no hope in this world. 
And Paul goes on to give them the hope, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, abolishing the law of the commands expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So mankind so, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit, to the Father. When the word church, the word church isn't used in this passage at all, but Paul is describing exactly what Jesus Christ has done through the cross, what the gospel message has done. He has taken those who were far off. In this particular passage, they were called Gentiles, people that did not know God. And he took those that were close to God, the Jews, and he made them into one. The gospel brought everyone together. Now in our world, it looks a little different. Maybe you could consider it. Those of us who, who had the privilege of being raised in the church and knowing God from a very early age, and, and God can bring us together then with those outside of the church in an unbelieving world that do not know Jesus yet, and the gospel confuse us together. But you see, even in our world, we, we claim that being brought up in the church thing a lot, and the reality is there's a lot of people that have been brought up in the church that have no relationship with Jesus Christ. They simply are in attendance some Sunday mornings. They've never fully committed their life to Christ, and that is a big deal. This can be the hardest group of people to reach because they think they're good, because they're just here, but there's so much more than that. They've never really fully surrendered their life to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to the gospel message. They've never really laid down their life and picked up their cross to carry and follow Jesus. And then there's those that are far off, those that don't know the love of Jesus yet. Maybe those that have done some things in the past or had some things done to them that they're a bit ashamed of for one reason or another. When you talk with these people about the love of God, their typical response is, God could never love me. He could never love someone like me. A church, a church wouldn't want anything to do with me. They wouldn't want me to come in those doors. And all I can say is, you couldn't be farther from the truth. The church should be the place that takes you in no matter what. Paul says the same gospel takes those that are near and those that are far away and brings them together into one body such that we might not have anything else at all in the entire world in common other than the love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness of Jesus. And that is enough for us. Those last couple verses, verses 19. Then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and, uh-oh, there's that word, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I do want you to notice that Paul does use the word melios, member, in this context. I want you to understand that there is only one church that Jesus gave his life for. There is only one church, and I'm just going to throw this out there, think of it, whatever you want. 
any church that you ever attended that claims that they are the one church that Jesus died for, they're not telling you the truth. Because man has created all these divisions and all this diversion, and Christ simply died for the church. We call that the church universal, the church united around the gospel of Christ across this entire globe. And we live this out and flesh this out in many, many different ways. Our worship styles are very, very different, but they're all over the place. The church universal. Now, as a kid growing up, I think I've told you this before, but we go on vacation, and when we go on vacation, if it covered a Sunday, typically I got tasked with the responsibility of finding a church for us to go to. So back in the day, I pulled out this yellow book from the hotel drawer, it was called a phone book. You don't know what those are anymore, but they used to exist. And I would go through and really randomly find a church. Now, that got us into some interesting places, I won't lie, but never a bad one. Never one single bad one. But then God allowed me to do something even cooler. God allowed me to go and worship at a small church in the country of Haiti. God's allowed me to go and worship in a small church underneath a big giant tree in the country of El Salvador. And all I can tell you is every time I've gotten the opportunity to do that, it has brought me to tears. And you might say, why? Was the service boring you to death? No, because I'm sitting in another country listening to another language that I don't understand a single word of, and I know that they are worshiping the same God that I am. I know that they are preaching the same gospel in Creole, the same gospel in Spanish that I am sharing with you today. I know that when people come to hear them on that Sunday morning or whatever day of the week it is, because they worship on more than one day a week, they're going to learn that God sent his son and Jesus willingly came to this earth. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He made himself known to be God by the signs and wonders and words that he spoke. And then he subjected himself to his creation and he offered up his life to his creation who gladly took it from him so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. And then he, he totally changed the game because that didn't end at that moment. He then changed our relationship forever with our Heavenly Father because three days later he rose from the dead. Getting rid of guilt, getting rid of shame, overcoming the power of sin and death for all eternity. And I know wherever I go, that is being preached. And that is the church universal. That is who Jesus died for. And it is incredible. And I just ask, do you believe that? Do you genuinely believe that right now across this globe, there are people gathered in the name of God, worshiping the same Jesus, believing the same things, forgiven by the same blood of Jesus. Do you realize that you share that with your brothers and sisters in Christ? If you've chosen to join Jesus at the moment of your conversion, you became a member of this church universal. You became a member of the church with our brothers and sisters in Haiti. You became a member of the church with our brothers and sisters in El Salvador. You became a member of the underground church in North Korea where you could die walking out the doors that they found out what you were doing. The underground church in China the underground church and all kinds of Islamic nations across the world. You are members. You are bound to those other people. But here's the really cool thing. God created an additional layer for us. He created something else that he knew we needed. There's more to his plan. We read about it in the writings of Paul. We read about it in the early church in Acts. Each one of us should be a part of a local gathering of believers. It's a local expression of this universal church. 
not because membership has its privileges, not because Chris really, really, really wants us to join Berea, not because your salvation is tied in any way to this building, because it's not. It's just a formalized, structured, simplified way for you to declare, I want to be known here, and I want to know others here for the sake of the gospel, not for my own personal benefit. What we really want you to understand is this. The church is made of people. It's not a place. The church is the people of God. It is not a building. So you do not come to this place to experience the presence of God. If you are a believer in Christ, God dwells in you And then he comes with all of us to this place and fills this place with his spirit. As you come in here, it shouldn't just be a, hey, these are pretty comfy chairs. Hey, my donut was delicious on the way in. Boy, I loved that. That was great. Hey, maybe I'll be just a little bit entertained. Hey, maybe the pastor can hold my attention just for a couple minutes. That would be great. As a matter of fact, pastor, you know, I'm kind of going through some things in my life, and it would be great if you could give me some good practical advice that I could leave here with and just go out and apply to my day and to my life this week. Well, here's the thing. We do hope and pray that you do get some practical wisdom from the Word of God, absolutely, but that's not why we're doing what we're doing. As a matter of fact, we pray to take this step further. We pray that when you leave here and have conversations about what happened between you and God in this place, we pray that at some level you can tell someone, I feel like God was talking directly to me this morning through the Word. That's our goal for sure. But you see, once you become a member, there's even more within this body of Christ because now God has given you a responsibility to fulfill as well. The church is to be the local family. Think about the world we live in. How many of you could think of somebody right now that really truly just doesn't have a family? Maybe their family is so messed up they don't want anything to do with them. Maybe their family abandoned them. Maybe their family even abused them. Maybe they are the ones that abandoned their family and they find themselves all alone. I want to give you an example. I've told you a long time ago, and I'll remind you from time to time, I do not make up the stories that I share with you. They are true to the best of my ability, and they're my own. If they're not my own, I'll tell you they're somebody else's and where I got it. But this happened to me just after Christmas. I was having a conversation. It was one of the settings that that I was in, and it was a young lady. Uh, She had probably about a two-year-old daughter or so, and then a gentleman was with her. I would assume it was her husband and or at least maybe the, the father of the baby, I would hope. And I asked them a very innocent question. I said, hey, how was Christmas? To which she replied, we don't celebrate Christmas. Okay. Um, I kind of stood there for just a second, I, pretty quick on my feet with that one. I was like, hey, well, you know what? Lots of people don't, don't celebrate Christmas. I understand that. That happens uh, in, in the world that we live. So, okay, I, I'll, move on. I'll move on from that. And I kind of paused for a minute, but, you know, now I'm curious, right? Like, wonder why. Like, kind of strange conversation. So, so I pushed just a little bit further. I was not ready for what she said. <laughs> I'll quote her. Uh, just a little push. It wasn't a lot. I wasn't in, in investigating. It wasn't a, a super um, uh, intrusive question to her. But her answer was, um, uh, my family hates me. They think I'm fat and ugly. They hate me, and I don't want anything to do with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what she said. What do you say in return? 
Someone told you that. Just someone you have no idea who they are. You've never met them before in your life. That's what they lead off with. What do you say? I'll tell you what I said. Absolutely nothing. I was stunned. Literally, my heart broke because I began to realize that this young lady has no one. She has no family. She doesn't think anybody loves her. Nobody cares about her. There's no support. There's no encouragement in her life. And here she is raising a daughter with no one. And I just kind of stood there for a minute now. Of course, I couldn't shut up forever. I had to come up with something to say, right? And so I kind of just quietly said, no, man, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry about that. I can promise you that's not what God intended for your life. I said, there are people, there are people out there that, that love you. That wasn't a moment to just invite someone to church. That wasn't a moment to just hurt with them because clearly that person was hurting. And so, so I said, you know, there are people that love you. And then I just kind of paused. I said, you know, I said, that little girl right there, I said, man, she loves you more than anything you could ever imagine in that moment. And I want you to consider that the world needs Jesus. And Jesus left us, the church, to represent him in this world. And so the church needs to be at her very best. And we need to find and seek out young ladies like this. And we need to love them in such a way that they experience maybe true love for the first time in their entire life. We've got to love her in such a way that she now feels like the sister or the daughter of the king. Because that's who she is. Now we are a messed up family. Hopefully you would all agree with me on that. But here's the thing. We're united by the love of Jesus. Some of us, some of us are hurting. Some of us are broken and bleeding. Some of us, eh, we're okay. It's typically what many of us say, isn't it? Others of us have come to a realization in life that we are indeed a blessed people. And we find a way to rest in that. But here's what's awesome about the church family, and that is this. We want to love anyone into this church family exactly how they are in that moment. But we love them way too much to let them stay who they are. We want the love of Christ to transform them. Romans 12, 4 says this, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, each member belongs to all the others. If you've never considered that before, as a member of the body of Christ, you now belong to your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a covenant relationship. We are bound together even when we fail. It's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require us to live a lot more like Jesus than we currently do. So to define a member for you in this closing, a member is someone who owns and lives out the vision and the mission of a church, not as a recipient, but as a servant. It's someone who comes in and says, I'm going to exchange my rights, my desires, and replace those with my responsibilities to serve others. It's someone who comes in each week, not just thinking, 
And probably some of you have said this on your way to, you know, I just hope today's a good Sunday. I hope things go okay. You know, I hope it's not too hot or too cold or this or that or the other. It's not someone who just does that, but it's someone who comes into the building and on their way in this door, they're praying to God, God, is there somebody here you need me to minister to today? God, is there somebody that I'm going to encounter today that you need me to pray for? God, is there some way when I get in here that there's going to be an opportunity to arise and serve? There's a a need for help somewhere, and I can step up, and you've given me the skills to be able to step up and help out in that way. Now, some of you might say, well, yeah, but pastor, if I came with that attitude, then how am I going to get my needs met? Well, we addressed that a little bit earlier, but let me just tell you this. There's absolutely no better way God wired us this way on planet Earth for us to have our needs met individually than by instead meeting the needs of someone else. When we begin to meet the needs of others, then our needs are always taken care of. God is amazing in that way. As a member, I'm called to be a servant, a functioning part of the body. Jesus' design for church membership brings glory and honor to God. And it puts the good of others in front of our own desires. It builds relationships, it raises up disciples, and then it trains godly leaders. Now, one of those questions that we often get asked, are there qualifications to become a member? Yes, there absolutely are, but really only one. (laughs) It's not a long list. You've got to be a committed, devoted Christian, follower of Christ. You must respond to the call of Jesus upon your life before you can become a member. And so if you've never made that commitment, if you've never come forward and expressed the name of Jesus, confessed it, repented of your sins, confessed him as your Lord and Savior, and be joined in the waters of baptism, then we don't want you to think about membership. We want you to think about Jesus. And then we want to take it a step further, and we want to take every obstacle we possibly can out of your way so that you can come to Christ. And join us then in the fellowship of believers. Since the very beginning of this service, of of this series, I've said this each week, our desire through this series is for God to lead people, to move people, to have a desire to make Berea their own. Not just through this series, but in the future as we show these to other people. And we know there's people that I had a conversation after first service with someone that's been coming here since the 70s. And ask, I wonder if I'm even a member here. Did I ever actually join the church? So that's an interesting question. I don't know. (laughs) You're going to have to call the church office. Here's the thing. Even those that have been here for years and years and years, and you would consider yourself a devoted, committed member of this church, but you've never actually joined, here's why to join at this phase. First of all, because God's saying, hey, this is probably what you should do. But second of all, there's so little movement in the Christian church today that people don't understand what it means to get up from their seat and declare such things. Whether it's to come forward and accept Christ or to come forward and say, yes, I want to partner with the local body of believers here at Berea. I want that covenant relationship with them. We want to encourage those people to do, whether they've been here for a short time or long, to set the example that, yes, this is important. Yeah, I've been coming here for years, but you know what? I never understood the importance of this step to take, and you're demonstrating that for others, making that covenant commitment. I mentioned earlier, if you're curious and, and you, you maybe you're, you'd like to join the church, but maybe you still have some more questions for leadership, Sunday, March 1st, we're going to have a luncheon and you can ask questions. That's why that's really all we're going to be doing at that is just answering questions you might have about the church or just getting to know the leadership a little bit more so you're comfortable with that decision. So please sign up and, and be a part of that moving forward. The final thing that I'll say is this. 
if you have ever been hurt by the people within the church. Now, in today's culture, you hear people say it this way, I've been hurt by the church before. And I, I want to change that terminology because the church of Jesus Christ, the church that Jesus established with his blood, does not, will not, cannot hurt anyone. But we, the people within the church, are very capable of injuring people. And so if that's you, if you've been hurt by people within the church, or even this church in the past, all I can do is say that I'm very sorry. The reality is the church should be the safest place on planet Earth for anyone to go. And yet it's not. And so what I'd like to do is help you understand this from my perspective. The reason the church is not perfect is because I'm here. I can only talk for me. I can't talk for anyone else. And I am not perfect. I will make mistakes. I do say things that completely unintentionally hurt people. Absolutely, it's going to happen. And it's not intentional. Sometimes I misspeak. And so my goal in all of this is for if God can somehow find a way to take messed up old me and help me become a good husband, a loving father, and give me the ability to love all of you well, if God can do those things through me and I can ask routinely for your forgiveness, <laughs> for me, and for your grace, that's all that I can do. And what I ask you to do is I want you to consider having that same mentality. If each of us approached joining this body of believers with that attitude, knowing our flaws and our mistakes, if each of, each of us were adopted by the church family, knowing that we had these problems and that we are willing to extend the same grace to everyone else here with us, then can you imagine how God could change this community into a place that everyone wanted to come and be a part of? We pray that you're willing to become that kind of member, one who is seeking to learn and become more like Jesus, willing to serve those in need, willing to love those that God brings to us, and willing to go out and invite those in that do not know the love of Jesus. As I said earlier, we pray that all of you have responded to the gospel message, but we always want that opportunity to be out there to become a member of the household of God through accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In the next moment, you'll have the chance to come forward and do that. We're always prepared to bring those into the family that want to join us. But here it is, for those of us maybe that did that many, many years ago, we want you to consider becoming a part of the church, a church where you live, a church where you work, a church where you play, realizing that you don't want to leave your growth to chance. You want to commit to a plan, a pathway, if you will, to be challenged and move forward in your faith. You don't want to leave the Great Commission to chance. You want to know that you're part of a body of believers that is pushing the Great Commission out there and trying to save the lost. You want a place to go where you can come and jump in with the gifts and skills that God has given you to serve those that you're united with in this great commission in a way that God has called you to serve in the place that God has called you to do it for the good of his name and the expansion of the kingdom of God. That first week, I, I gave you a quote by, by Charles Spurgeon. I thought I would end with another. He said it this way, if I had never joined a church till I found one that was perfect, 
I should have never joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had ever found one, I should have spoiled it. For it would not have been a perfect church after I became a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. We pray that you consider Berea to be your church. And if you haven't done so, then take these next moments to come and allow us to adopt you into our family. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Father, we must start by thanking you for offering up your son who came to save us. But beyond that, Father, you had such an incredible plan in place because you, you didn't even stop at that. You went even further and said, and I want to provide you with a body of believers. I want you to be united in this world to support and encourage and love and empower and strengthen one another. Father, you gave us the church as imperfect as we've made it. You gave us this place as a place to express your love to one another and to an unbelieving world that is dying all around us. I pray that you move people to be a part of the body of Christ, not just here, Father, at every church across this nation, they have the same issues. I pray that you move people to make that covenant commitment to one another, to make that promise to be there for one another no matter what. Father, may we as leaders, we as longtime members of the church, may we live up to our responsibilities and our obligations to serve you and to love others the way that you do here at Berea. We thank you, Father, and we pray that the Spirit moves people in this direction. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.